0: Hello and welcome on The Barricades. This is your favorite Eastern European political show where uh, we challenge and if necessary destroy Western media narratives. My name is Bujan Stanislavski and I'll be hosting the show today as usual with my Romanian colleague Maria Cernat. Hello.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: And today we have a very special guest for you, Paul Jay, for all, of, uh, for all those who don't know, He is a well-known Canadian-American journalist, filmmaker, the founder and host of TheAnalysis.News, a podcaster and a YouTuber. He was The Real News Network's founder and senior editor previously. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on, Paul. Thanks for coming on.
2: Uh, Thank you very much for the invitation.
0: Right. So uh, you're... Uh, as I said, Canadian American journalist and uh, yet you're here on our Eastern European show and that's because uh, although territorially it might be you know halfway around the world, we are a, a region which is extremely dependent on uh, the United States, not necessarily maybe in terms of you know economic relations or trade, but in terms of political uh, decision making. Because I can maybe think of two countries, uh, you know, throughout the region from the Baltics to Greece, where, uh, where where major political decisions aren't consulted prior to their implementation with the American, uh, you know, embassies in the respective countries so uh whatever happens in america okay uh is immediately translated into something here uh and it could be anything i mean it depends on the country it depends on the moment it depends on 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 a you know variety of factors really but uh the the main thing that determines what's going to happen in our countries and in other countries around the world which also you know have this kind of dependency or worse because they were bombed or you know whatever uh uh uh, kind of um you know attacked by the united states and so on and so forth uh or or are are under attack like venezuela or 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 cuba that which has been you know under uh which is 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 a constant basically object of some kind of attack and repression from the side of the uh, uh of the united states since the uh uh for the long, it has been like that for the last sixty years or so uh, so but but so the determining factor here is the foreign policy and and uh i, I wonder whether you could uh, we could start with what is your uh understanding of the American foreign policy today is is there any change today in in comparison with what it has been like under trump under obama? And, uh, you know, of course, the hidden question behind it is uh, for us, basically, for me and Maria and other maybe uh, political analysts here in the region to, to try and make the educated guesses as to what it could mean for us. Like what's going to happen tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, in one week time, in one month time here in Bulgaria, in Poland, in, in uh, you know. Uh, uh, other countries, Romania or the Baltic states and so on and so forth. So please, it's a very general question, I realize, but uh, try to make a general assessment. What is the American foreign policy today?
2: Well, in a word, and it's it's been this policy since at least 1940, you know, the end of World War II, uh, the, the underlying principle of U.S. foreign policy Is to be the global hegemon, and and to be the global hegemon, it means you have to be the dominant power in every region of the globe, or you ain't the global hegemon. So every region they want to be, try to be, but of course, uh, since World War II, uh, there's been a change in the nature of global capitalism. Uh, First of all, the fall of the Soviet Union, and now Russia, although it's a mid-level. Uh, capitalist economy. Uh, it has a, a very serious military, it has nuclear weapons, and it has, a, a you know, w- like it or don't like it, they have pretty smart people uh, running the show, at least smart compared, I, I think, to the Americans. Um, the uh, Chinese are now, obviously, emerging as, as, f- as something new that, that the United States has never had to deal with. Which is an economic power. Uh, I think, you know, I I would call it state capitalists. They call themselves uniquely Chinese socialists, but whatever you want to call it, it's a competitor that the United States has never faced. Uh, Even in the days of the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union was, you know, perhaps at its strongest and so on, it was never an economic competitor. Outside the borders of the Soviet Union, except you could say like selling arms to India, or you know, the, you know, there's a little bit going on, but it was never a serious economic uh, competitor for global leadership. Uh, and 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 it wasn't very long into the 80s and 90s when the Americans realized that the Soviet Union was, you know, so bureaucratic and was imploding and and would probably shoot itself out of existence, which is what eventually happened. Um, so, so the the idea the plan the need the interest they see of being the global hegemon is deeply baked into the foreign policy culture uh, whether they see themselves as the champions of global democracy uh, and I think lots of them believe it uh, it's you know you, you most people believe what they think is in their interest to believe so they believe it uh, even though they Can somehow get their heads around supporting, uh, you know, over the since World War II, hundreds of dictatorships. uh. But see, the Americans believe they uh, they do bad things for good reasons, where everyone else does bad bad things for bad reasons. So if so, Eastern Europe, you know, the region of Eastern Europe, the Americans have to be dominant because if they're not, they 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 don't want Russia becoming dominant, and they see that as the only alternative. And They see Russia, and this is the thing where I think it's very important, don't underestimate the lack of rationality in U.S. foreign policy or, frankly, any government's foreign policy. We we sit here and think about, well, look at their interests. Shouldn't they be doing this? That would be so much more rational
0: that's right can i interrupt you right here because this is something that i think is very important for our viewers to consume because uh there is an underlying ideological element here and you know regardless of whether it reflects their interest or it reflects only their thoughts about their interest or their perception um, oftentimes false of their interest and so on and so forth but there is this thing which is you know okay maybe it's not metaphysical but it's deeply ideological that they perceive themselves somehow as, as as the good people that are against the evil in the world and whatever they do, even if it's the same that the evil, whatever, people, states, entities do, when they do it, it's fine. And this is something which, uh, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up, is, is deeply embedded in the mindset of the American foreign policy makers, so they can do whatever they like. And I think, and perhaps you're going to go to that uh, or uh, later on, that they are having now a very serious, or they seem, that, that that's what it looks like from Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern European perspective, they seem to, to go through a very difficult psychological moment right now because for the first time in i don't know how many years decades someone is telling them guys just shut up and go away and let us rule in where we are elected to rule it's russia china Venezuela, Cuba and stuff like that and and you know particularly after this train wreck in Anchorage uh, some months ago okay when they uh, when Blinken met with the Chinese delegation it's very obvious they seem to be you know we have a saying in Bulgarian that someone walks around as if they were slapped with a, a wet piece of fabric on their face okay and, and the American foreign policy makers they, they kind of look like this when you look at Sullivan or Blinken they you know, they really make an impression of very, very confused people. Okay. Sorry for this interruption, but I just, you know, w- wanted to make sure that this point is clear to our viewers. Go ahead. Uh,
2: you want me to go ahead or you want yeah. to? Ask Maria, want to?
0: Okay.
1: No, I would just uh, like to say that uh, luckily, even in Romania, which is a very obedient country that always has this uh, leak booting squad of intellectuals ready to say, uh, things on behalf of the American embassy. We here in Romania have intellectuals that are more pro Americans than the Biden administration itself. I think they are more pro Americans than the head of the CIA, if that's possible. But it is good to see that finally, finally, even in Romania with such an obedient intellectual elite, we see some descending voices. So. Maybe there is hope and maybe we can see some cracks through the walls, like uh, Boyan said in terms of America being the hegemon here in uh, Eastern Europe. What do you think?
2: Well, I, I think it, the question should be asked, why, after the, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, why didn't Russia get integrated more thoroughly, more completely into global capitalism uh, in the, especially in terms of the political structures, you know, you know, Putin at one point wanted to join NATO. Uh, the, 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 you know, why didn't Russia become just another country like the European countries? Um, and 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 I can't give a full answer. I can tell you, you know, some of my initial thoughts. I'm sure there's people that can take a crack at that better than I do. But I think it's 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 two or three things. Um, one is. Th- Russia, even though it's not, uh, you know, is a mid level sized economy, it's still a pretty big economy. It has a lot of fossil fuel. It has a lot of leverage in terms of Europe because of the uh, oil supplies. I know that during the time of the Libyan War, there was a very interesting WikiLeaks uh, w- where there was a cable from the ambassador, I believe it was in Rome, back to uh, Hillary Clinton. And in it, they talked about uh, how Libyan, the Russian Gazprom was using the Italian oil company to make a deal with Gaddafi in Libya that it would look like the Italians were getting uh, the lion's share of Libyan oil. And it was really the Russians through Gazprom. And the, uh, uh, the cable said, we can't allow this to happen. Now, this is just early in the buildup to the uh, intervention or invasion of Libya And the cable says, we can't allow Russia to further tighten the energy noose around the neck of Europe. So Russia, you know, traditionally hadn't been part of the American umbrella. It had levers of power that were outside the control of the United States. Um, Putin, in organizing the Russian state out of the chaos of the 90s, which the Americans, of course, helped create, uh, he had created a state that, was, uh, that uh, you know, was very nationalist, really de- defended its sovereignty, uh, for better or worse in terms of the Russian people, but still, it was not a state that would be pliant with the United States. And, and I don't think all of Western Europe are puppets or anything, but, but Germany and France, and they have their differences And, and you know, in the lead-up to the Iraq War. France was very opposed to the Iraq War.
0: But that's still, true. But on the other hand, let me just say that it was like twice or three times when it was revealed that the Americans were wiretapping Angela Merkel's mobile phone, okay, private and, and, and you know, yeah, well, business or whatever. Well, that, that's
2: whatever. Yeah, my but point. I
0: just want to say that no one has said anything about it. Like everybody just said, it's an unfortunate situation, right?
2: Yeah, well, the, the, the Germans and French are like the Canadians. They, they resent the American power. On the other hand, they can't afford to get into a fight that might uh, cause, cause trade relations, and, and, and Canada particularly. Like Canadians sent soldiers to Afghanistan just to make sure they could keep sending goods to the United States, because Canada didn't send troops to Iraq. Anyway, my point is that Russia didn't fit into the model of the kind of alliance that the United States has with Western Europe, where Western Europe willingly plays second fiddle most of the time, on the other hand, are a serious economic power in their own right. Uh, So it was also very convenient for the Americans, they need this existential enemy. You can't negate how important that is to the industrial military complex. And and not to have an extension, you you can't justify, uh, billions and billions of dollars—that's really trillions—but I'm talking specifically about the Ford-class uh, air. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Uh, aircraft carriers at 14 billion apiece, and they're doing more than a dozen of them. You don't need that to fight. Guerrillas are uh, Islamists in the Middle East, so there's a lot of reasons for not including Russia in. And but one of the main things that I think really pissed off the West, and and they and, and to this day is one of the reasons they continue the pressure on Russia, is Putin never allowed American finance freewheeling in Russia. Uh, they don't. It's, it's the same thing. The Chinese are not allowing them freewheeling, and and the American finance sector. Uh, they really, I mean, they'd love to see regime change in Russia to a, a more open capitalist model, meaning finance gets to do more or less whatever it pleases. Um, so there's a lot of reasons. So Eastern Europe, obviously, is in the middle of all this. And, and as long as there's this kind of contention with Russia, the Americans will want to maintain a, a, a quite tight grip on
0: Eastern Europe,
2: and and someday you may have a change in Russia. It's not out of the question. You might find. Some well, yeah, that, yeah, sure. Change. I mean
0: that, that that of course could happen, and and uh, you know Putin's been in power for like twenty years now, or some uh, yeah twenty or seventeen or something like that. So uh, I just you, you know uh, I'm I'm reading the Russian uh, press, I'm watching Russian media, and I can see you know that. Putin and, in general, his administration, particularly Lavrov, who is his uh, foreign minister, they are very tired already, and they would have loved, okay, to go, but they. they they feel they just can't because there's uh, people you well, know right around the corner just waiting to for that around, to but
1: i think they build their own trap i don't think this is the scope of the the show but i think they build their own trap they build some sort of political power where uh, everything depends on them unfortunately but my question to paul is Is there any other way? Because I remember when discussing first uh, about this show and I told you that unfortunately, except for some states in Latin America that managed to have socialist governments that opposed and oppose USA, and uh, apart from probably Venezuela, and apart from some countries in Western Europe, you don't see a political regime that is democratic and at the same time manages to oppose uh, the United States and its hegemony. So you either have some sort of local authoritarian leader with authoritarian tendencies like Putin, or you have the U.S. boot on the necks of your politicians. For the most part of the world, I don't think there's a way out. What do you think about that?
2: Well, there's no way out. As long as the elites of all these countries uh, profit from global capitalism, and so, you know, I mean, Germany and France are not puppet states of the United States by any means, but they are—they know their bread is buttered by a system managed by the United States, and they depend on the power of the American Fed and the American military to manage this global system. And their elites, you know, the, the alternative obvious is obvious. People have to, uh, either by voting or some other way, get rid of these elites. Uh, they have to, you know, the, who has power has to change. But we're in a very particular moment now. This isn't the same, hist- you know, this year even, this decade. It's not the same as the previous decades. And, and for, for two or three reasons. One, first and foremost, climate. Uh, it's starting to sink through the heads of some of these people, and of course now you know the Germans and others are getting it more than ever. Uh, but even in the U.S., it's starting to get through their heads that this climate crisis is for real. It may be too late to do anything about it in the in in the way this how quickly things can change. But it's people can start seeing cracks in the whole system. They can start to see the uh, social order. Uh, fall, you know, really, uh, I don't know. Collapsing, maybe an exaggeration, but this a, dis- a level of global disorganization. Like, add add two things together. Uh, in Asia, in the poorest parts of Asia, Africa, and much of Latin America, you have a pandemic. You're going to have a climate that's unlivable. Put this together: the amount of migration from south to north over the next decade. It's unimaginable how many millions and millions of people, for their own survival, are going to have to try to make it either to Europe or to the United States, uh, across land borders. Uh, you know, get your head around the uh, scale of what's coming, and it's coming soon. Um, on the geopolitical level, uh, the United States, as a global hegemon, has no idea how to remain the hegemon of Asia. They are no longer the hegemon of Asia. They're afraid of getting pushed out of Asia, and it's a very dangerous situation. If you read some of the American foreign policy stuff, they talk about what would happen if China, over the next decade or so, is able to bring Japan on board um, and, and start to actually freeze the United States out of Asian markets. I don't know how real a threat that is, but it's being talked about. Uh, the, 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 here's the underlying problem. The underlying problem is capitalism as a system, although it's been far more resilient than any lefty socialist imagined in the la- you know, from Marx on, uh, it's no longer going to be so resilient. It, it can't deal with climate. The U.S. and China are heading for confrontation here. This is where I get back to rationality or irrationality. Like, why? Why is the United States pushing China? It makes no sense. Like If you want to remain the reserve currency, you don't push China into a position of giving up on the U.S. dollar, but they're doing it. Uh, Both in terms of the objective economic interest and the psychological, cultural influences, they're like on this track towards uh, I, I, I don't like to use war with China because if you if they ever get there, we're all done. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's the way. other. That's the other thing that never. Well, even with gives Russia, p- for that
0: matter. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but with Russia, I think it's more posturing. I mean, Russia's not a real competitor to the United States. It's huffs and puffs, and they did what you know. Frankly, even what Russia did in Syria did the Americans a favor in the long run. So they you know it's good for the russian domestic audience and the american domestic audience to to yell at each other you know both have military industrial complexes both have nationalism they like to fuel feed the fuel fuel the fire of it, but it's mostly bullshit because there isn't r- enough at stake between the two of them.
0: Well, The I'm, real, I'm, the real issue I w- is China. I want to push back a little bit against that because, uh, you know, w- what happened in Ukraine is something that perhaps people in America or Canada are not able to uh, kind of fully perceive the weight of it. But it's something that has... First of all, it's a disaster, okay, like look at Ukraine today, it's a partitioned country, very miserable, almost no economy, or if there is any, it's virtually run by uh, a consulate of oligarchs right there, okay, who are independent pretty much of everything. well, yeah, they are ruling independently just because they are filthy rich, okay, and they can do whatever they, they want in those countries uh, in this country. And then uh, you know, you have like I don't know 30% or I don't know how uh, what is the exact percentage, but it's a huge percentage of people that emigrated from that country. You see German trucks of private companies digging, okay, the ground yes. in Ukraine, the the, the soil and, and 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 which is being sold to to German corporations and it's being driven out of the country somewhere, you know, to to Germany in order to make their soil better for farming or, or growing crops yeah. or whatever. And, you and see all cool. those things. And, and so, like, look, this is Victoria Newland, This is Jeffrey Payat. This is Barack Obama. this So, you know, this, this is something extreme. This was something that was, uh, you, you know, of, yeah, of, but you're, of a breaking you're not, you're point with the you're Russians. Not, so
2: you're not speaking to my point. No, the Americans are not going to go to war with Russia over Ukraine.
0: Do you think they will? No, I don't think they will, but I think well, it was close a couple of times. And, and particularly eh. now... Well, I, th- I don't know. You know uh, I, 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 I don't. Th- just, I, th- I don't believe say, uh, the
2: United States is not going to go to war over Eastern Europe with Russia, and vice versa. Russia, it's, it's oh, in absolutely. neither. Now, interest. not
0: now, not like during the times of the Warsaw Pact, Russia would have gone to war over, like you know, uh, uh, with oh. other countries over whatever their uh, allies. But uh, now, not anymore. Uh, and on, uh, and yeah. I would I also want to say that there's a major difference which I can see between America and and, and uh, Russia, which is you know, Russia just wants to be left alone. That's their message and this is what they've been uh, sort of you know, trying to convey for the last I don't know how many, 15 or 20 years since Putin basically came to power after the first uh, what, what disillusionment. Do you, what does that mean? Where what what is that whereas, left alone? Whereas, that well, left alone. What does that mean? Whereas, no, that's, that's whereas, not, what does that mean? Whereas, whereas America wants to meddle everywhere. So like I don't think you can oh, just come easily on. say that not those every, are, those are two countries which are absolutely down equal down. and have no... And have and and, you know and and it just for the sake of their for the sake of their domestic policy they're just flexing their muscles. I I see a major difference between uh, Russia, which does not want and has no intentions to become a global hegemon, and and had on multiple occasions to you know. uh, Uh, Can I get
2: a listen? Listen to me, okay? Can I say something?
0: Sure, sure, go ahead.
2: Every capitalist country would like to be the global hegemon. Only some can. If Canada was offered the opportunity. To be the global hegemon. They would jump at it in five seconds. Norway, Sweden, maybe Finland. There's not a single capitalist country that doesn't wouldn't like to be the global Well, but but you would like and to actually let me finish a paragraph,
0: please. It's a different story.
2: You gotta let me finish my points. Okay. Okay. Because I can't you can't okay. Of course Russia meddles in its neighboring countries, and so should it. Why shouldn't a capitalist country be concerned? With what happens on its borders, uh, the United States does the same thing with Mexico, Canada, and and I'm talking never mind global reach. They're very directly involved. It's certainly in Latin America. They even have something called the Monroe Doctrine, which justified yeah. it all. Uh, there's nothing. There's no such thing as just leave us alone. Russia wants to compete with global arms uh, in the global arms industry. Uh, Russia w- certainly wants to sell fossil fuel into Western Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, gl- Russia want, doesn't want to be a hermit going into a cave. Uh, at the moment, Russia doesn't have the power to do much, uh, but that doesn't mean the nationalist forces in Russia uh, wouldn't like to, and who knows what might happen in the future. Uh, th- as I say, there's, there's very vir- virulent nationalist forces, in, certainly in the U.S. and in Russia and in China, all of them. This is why it's dangerous. I don't think China. There's a, let me back up a step. There's a difference between meddling and uh, and military intervention. Like I don't think China has any plans or Russia, other than maybe something directly on its border that they consider a threat. Like it could be Ukraine to Russia, it could be Taiwan to China. But past that, they're no, they have no plans for military bases all around the world. They don't have aircraft carriers everywhere. That's right. you're well, sitting everywhere. Yeah. So uh, there's no other power in the world that has the kind of aggressive posture of the United States. But it doesn't mean at a regional level they don't do what they can to enhance their own elites, and they do. And, and, and
0: it, yeah, okay, but but can I interrupt now? Like, there's a, there is a difference between following your interests, like, you know, Russia has interest in Ukraine, Russia has interest in Belarus, Russia has interest in Mongolia, in, in whatever, collaborating with China, collaborating with India, and they're uh, pursuing those interests. And that's, that's something which speaks to some kind of rationality and logic. And I kind of understand that I might not like that for some reason, because I don't know, they might, for example, uh, exploit some weakness of whatever countries they're dealing with, and 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 I would, I, you know, philosophically, morally, politically, ethically, I wouldn't like that. But it's something else with United States who come to Eastern Europe, colonize it basically, and then blow up a country like Ukraine, turn it into you know a piece of territory with no future, and 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 you know uh, and. and uh, uh, like you know I, I i basically see a qualitative difference okay between uh, the behavior well, I, and, and foreign policy uh, of russia and, and 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 united states yeah so, but i was i don't want to argue about that for the next 10 minutes but, uh, but let I me finish my sure. point yeah. all right
2: okay that was that wasn't making that point that there's an equivalency between them of course there isn't the united states has committed crimes outside its borders no one can compete with uh no my point was that there the i don't see why there's a a real threat of war other than accidentally or uh, between Russia and the United States. The issue of China and the United States is a qualitatively different issue because China is a real global competitor. Uh, Already in Latin America, uh, most of the Latin American countries, including Brazil, the largest economy of Latin America, their number one trading partner now is China, not the United States. Uh, It's true in, in, in many parts of the world. And and the problem for the United States is they don't know what to do about it, and and there really isn't much they could do about it. Now, if they were rational, and if they you know they would just figure out a way to work with China, you know, and and, and this is where they're caught because they so want into the Chinese market, so they want to be aggressive with China all over the globe, trying to push back on the the inroads China has made commercially in so many places, and they still want. Uh, access to the Chinese market. I mean, Chinese are not going to do that. So, if you're asking what's new about U.S. foreign policy, what's new is they don't know what to do about China because, other other than instigating a military confrontation, which they can't because it leads to nuclear war, um, all they can do is do what they're doing: is keep trying to push back and and and. and I mean, I don't have an answer for what they do, and that's not my problem because I, <laughs> I don't run the United States. But that's what's new. In, read the foreign policy literature. It's all about what the hell to do with China. All they can do is dream, and I don't know if they're right or wrong, that China itself is going to weaken for internal reasons. And, and if they're right, well, maybe. But right now, we're faced with the problem is that the United States doesn't want to give up global hegemony. We're facing a climate crisis that, if China and the United States and the other major countries don't cooperate on, you know, within just a few decades, human society as we know it is going to start to disintegrate. Um, so it's a very dangerous point. So what does it really mean for peoples of Eastern Europe or Canada or anywhere else, for that matter? It's really the same question. We can't let these elites continue to drive us off a cliff. And, and we can't, you know, being subservient to U.S. embassies in Eastern Europe, and I have to say, even in Canada, one of our governments was directly overthrown by the United States out of the U.S. embassy. So most countries are in a similar situation. But our elites, when a push comes to shove, they won't defy the United States on the important issues because their own domestic capitalist systems depend on it. So that's what has to change. We have to find ways to elect, or I don't know. I I mean, more or less, it's going to be elections in in most of these countries. I don't think you can have like Cuban revolutions anymore. All right. We don't. If we let me finish my point. If we if we don't elect really progressive, socialist, and democratic forces that can start to change the nature of of each economy, then you're not going to see a break from the United States. I don't see not not in in a time frame that matters
0: all right so uh i'm going to jump in now we're going to go to a short break uh and we're going to be back in 30 seconds